It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. For my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Whew. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network, episode number 287. It's Sam and Sage back with you for another thrilling, exciting episode on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, at Sage Rosenfels 18. Sage, happy Wednesday. Uh, again, we reach midweek, sort of the pivot point of the NFL calendar, or the NFL week, I should say. We'll review the Bears game and look ahead to the Packers game. And to review the Bears game, I want to play a little game with you called Encouraged or Discouraged, okay? Are you prepared? I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Okay, it's going to get real. Are you encouraged or discouraged by the Vikings quarterback situation. Obviously, Sam Bradford goes in, does not look ready to play, goes out. Case Keenum comes in, looks very good, leads them to victory. Encouraged or discouraged? I am encouraged by the situation. Uh, and it, it sounds crazy, but I think the way the Vikings offense is set up, Case Keenum may be the better quarterback of the two. Uh, he's uh, much more mobile. It's, it's very obvious to see, even by the amateur eye, that he can do things for this offense that Sam just can't do. He's probably not as an accurate, just straight-up pocket passer as Bradford. Uh, but uh, for a backup quarterback making $2 million a year to go in Chicago and play that well, I think is very, very encouraging. And, as we all know, it looks like Teddy Bridgewater might be back hopefully in the next couple of weeks or next month. So there's a situation sort of brewing there where if Bradford's out for the year, we might have a Case Keenum and, and Teddy Bridgewater you know, quarterback football team. <laughs> Certainly not the situation we anticipated in about July or June. This is how bad it was with Bradford. I mean, it was, it was so ugly in the first half, and I, fe- I felt for Bradford because clearly he was trying to battle through a lot of discomfort, and he just wasn't ready to protect himself. And after he took a hit or two, uh, you could see that knee almost visibly flaring up. It was not good. And the Vikings even sent out their trainer, Eric Sugarman, to talk to the media yesterday, basically just to to reassure everybody that we, we thought Sam was going to be okay. We didn't put him out there in a dangerous spot. It just turned out that his body didn't react well to it, and he re-aggravated the injury. To be honest, Sage, he did not look like he was ready to play football. No, and, and you could tell it looked like he was getting – his knee was getting stiffer as the the game went on, as that half went on. And, and, and by the end of the game, when he didn't play a second half, it looked like he was really struggling to sort of even just sort of walk around. He just looked really uncomfortable. You, you never know how your body's going to react off an injury until it's actually game time. Uh, I had injuries over the years, whether it be an ankle, I, I pulled a muscle in my quad one time. 
and you go and practice and you go and practice, you, you, you practice hard, you know, 90% or 95%, you're going basically full speed, but there's nothing like game speed. There's nothing like the adrenaline rush of a game. Uh, we are playing so fast. And sometimes uh, at, at that point, your body just does not react. And, and it's, it's pretty obvious that Sam Bradford's knee is not right. He's got some serious issues in there. Uh, it's, you know, there's almost a month, three, three weeks or so from the first game to, to last night or the other night, about a month, and uh, his knee looks it looks in bad shape. So I, I'm concerned about his availability for you know possibly the rest of the year. Yeah, same here. And the story kind of keeps changing a little bit. And I think the Vikings are even a little confused about the origin of the injury and whether it was caused by a single play or a single moment or if it's just a cumulative wear and tear effect. Because Sugarman made it seem like this was wear and tear from previous injuries even though we had heard before that it was a non-contact injury in the Saints game. So there's confusion on a few fronts with Bradford, but the bottom line is his knee is not in good shape. I can't imagine him even being in consideration to play against Green Bay. Uh, We'll see if he shows up at the, the open portion of practice at all today at Winter Park. But if you flip the script in the quarterback situation, are you would you be encouraged or discouraged by what you saw from Mitchell Trubisky if you are a Chicago Bears fan? Oh, I'd be encouraged. He did a lot of good things. Obviously, the interception at the end of the game was what everyone points to, and it's it's really easy for you know for a headline or uh, for a quick story. You know, Trubisky loses game on on crucial bad interception late, uh, but uh, you know for the most part, I thought he played fa- fairly well. Uh, I thought he protected the football uh, as best he could fairly well. Obviously, there's a fumble in the first half. I don't really put that on him. He really throws the ball on the run very well, and I like what Chicago's doing with him. They they do the outside zone stretch plays with their two backs. And by the way, that Cohen is, man, he, he, the first guy never tackles that guy, and it seems like the second guy really tackles him either. Uh, but I, I like how they do the outside zone, and then they get Trubisky on the bootleg fakes, uh, on the move. He throws the ball extremely extremely well on the run. He's very accurate. He's got a strong arm. Uh, and I think as a Bears fan, you have to be encouraged. That definitely was not a, a poor showing for a rookie quarterback. Yeah, the start was very good, and it felt like, He was playing so well in the first quarter, early second quarter, that if the Bears don't have a few self-inflicted wounds, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot with a penalty or two, they they even had a touchdown called back early. I mean, if they had taken maybe a 9-0 lead or a a 12-0 lead in that game, it could have been a totally different story. And the Bears might have actually won that football game. It was just uh, both teams had some bad penalties in that one. Jerome Boger's crew threw a lot of flags, and it sort of evened out both ways. Both teams had some big plays nullified. But I thought Trubisky really showed a lot of poise, and he really only made the one bad decision. And granted, it was a big spot bad decision. And likewise, I thought the Vikings did a good job against him. I thought, you know, once... Once they kind of settled in defensively and once the script ran out for Trubisky in that game, it seemed like the, the Vikings defense maybe threw some stuff at him he wasn't prepared for. Well, and you know that Vikings defense is for real. And, and in that game, you know, the Bears, the weakest part of that football team, I'd have to say, is, is probably their wide receiver crew. There's just not a lot of uh, dangerous threats out there. So that's a, an easy situation where – the Vikings DBs can play a lot of man-to-man coverage, and Xavier Rose can do his thing. And then, you know, the Vikings can load up against the run and really focus on the interior players. So uh, it's a good defense he went against. I, I thought he held his own. Um, you know, that's not an easy situation to, for a quarterback to be his first start on Monday Night Football against a, 
you know, probably a top 10 defense. And uh, yeah, I, th- I thought Trubisky played well. Uh, you know, the, the Vikings didn't do anything uh, on, you know, really on the short fields. They got a couple of times. Uh, it was obviously extremely boring first half, but uh, as soon as Case Keenum came into the game, it completely changed uh, the, the whole the whole game, it seemed like in the second half, there was just a new energy on that offense. You know, that, that kid, Keenum, he's got some swagger to him. You can tell he plays with confidence. You can tell he plays, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, with, with just a different sort of emotional energy uh, out there. And he, he plays with an urgency, it, it seems like. And, and he's, you know, he likes making plays. He likes to run uh, on occasion. I, I actually, it sounds crazy. I actually think Case Keenum, Right now is the better, even even with a healthy Sam Bradford, I think Case Keenum might be the better quarterback for this football team because they need somebody who can make plays. And and this probably should be an article that I write uh, this week for the score is about you know the new age NFL quarterback is not a pocket passer. It's a guy who one is good from the pocket, but then when that breaks down or when no one's open after you know one or two hitches. A guy who can, you know, can create outside the pocket. We're seeing Aaron Rodgers do it. Matthew Stafford has has added this element to his game a lot over the course of the last year or so. Alex Smith is doing it. Uh, obviously, the young guys who can run around like Deshaun Watson, you know, Trubisky, those types of players. This is going to be part of their game. Uh, this sort of second uh, aspect of the play when when the original one breaks down. What can your quarterback do? And Bradford just can't do much with that. Teddy Bridgewater can, and Case Keenum can. And so I I actually think that Case Keenum might be the better-suited quarterback to lead this offense. And you've said it before on this show, with Sam Bradford, things have to be perfect for him to succeed. And last year, he stayed healthy, and we saw what he could do healthy. But, you know, with with a little knee injury here, and I shouldn't say little, it might be a pretty serious knee injury, um, you know, that's really um, impacted what he can do because now, you know, not only is he not mobile, but now he's not really comfortable in the pocket either, and it's really affected his play. So it's tough to watch because he looked so good in week one, and you were so hopeful about what he could do with this team. And now I think, I use the word fragility, I think the fragility of Sam Bradford is sort of being exposed for the first time here in Minnesota, and it definitely puts his future into question. By the way, last year, you know, he had this record-breaking year, 71.6% completion percentage, and and he was healthy uh, for the majority of the season, played in all those games, and, and, and led that offense. But uh, you got to have a quarterback throwing 25 to 30 touchdown passes, if not more in a season, if you want to be... Uh, a threatening offense and uh, so as you said that a lot of times a lot of times touchdown passes happen when the play does break down there you know if, if you could just design plays to beat a defense teams wouldn't play those defenses very often so uh, teams get uh, teams get tight inside the 20 yard line in the red zone the defenses have a lot of really good schemes that keep you out of the end zone and keep you in the field goals it takes a quarterback who can create uh, off-schedule plays, and, and, and that's when guys find themselves up in the back of the end zone. And I think right now Case Keenum is the better quarterback to do those types of things uh, for this Vikings offense. Last encouraged or discouraged question, and it's hard not to be encouraged by this aspect, but the Vikings running game, a 159 yards. Now, maybe the reason to be discouraged would be that Latavius Murray did not look all that explosive. Uh, I was 12 carries, 31 yards, just 2.6 per carry for Murray. But McKinnon 
kind of came out of nowhere. People were thinking it was going to be Murray getting all the reps, but no, McKinnon actually had a much bigger role. He had 25 more snaps in that game than Murray did, and he rushed for 95 yards, including a long touchdown. So are you encouraged or discouraged by the running game without Cook? Well, I'm, I'm encouraged by obviously what McKinnon did. Uh, he had an excellent night. Uh, he, you know, he hasn't really sort of been in that role as, as a marquee back yet. It seemed like last year, you know, Matt Asiata was more, which seemed like it was the guy that was in there more often than, than McKinnon. Uh, and I think, you know, Latavius Murray is sort of the, the Matt Asiata of, of 2017. You know, the biggest issue with Murray is that he, uh, he is a, just a strong back that's going to get you twos and threes and, and maybe even short yardage. You know, try to power through for an extra yard or two. He comes from Oakland that had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL last year, and they're huge. I mean, they have a big, powerful uh, offensive line. But he doesn't have that in Minnesota. It's just a, it's a different makeup, so he's not going to get that push, and the holes aren't going to be as big. So he's not going to be as effective as a Viking uh, as he was uh, uh, as an Oakland Raider. So it's encouraging that they have two backs that they can work with. Uh, there might be a need at some point here. You know, soon to, to look at adding uh, another back into the mix, or maybe they almost have not really a tryout, but they you know they have two or three backs uh, that you know might get a carry here and there, and see if see if they have a third guy you know sort of spark this offense because McKinnon over the course of the next you know uh, 11 or, or 12 games or whatever it is uh, it will not be able to carry the load as much as he did the other night. It was encouraging. But I get worried long term that you know for over the course of this whole season that McKinnon because he's not a big guy if, if he'll last uh, by by being a premier running back. Yeah, and you mentioned bringing in another back. They actually signed uh, Stephen Ridley for like four days, but then they cut him to make room for Michael Floyd on the roster. So they brought in that extra guy, but then they didn't use him. And maybe, maybe they think C.J. Ham can be their third back, sort of the uh, the fullback running back hybrid. That is the end of encouraged and discouraged. Good job, Sage. That was a taxing, taxing exercise that we got through. You're listening to Love Advice with Leanne. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Leanne. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Why, in your professional opinion, do you never take my calls off the air? Is this Carl? Yep, it's Carl. I mean, we had a few dates. Everything was great, I thought. Uh... Well, you know, when you switch to GEICO, you could save a lot of money on car insurance. Okay, awesome. You should call them. I will. GEICO, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Let's turn the page to the Green Bay Packers, and I've got to hit you with a stat right out of the gate. I was looking at Aaron Rodgers' splits against division opponents. Here is his career against the Bears, Vikings, and Lions. Against Chicago, 15-4 and record, 42 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. Against Detroit, 13 and 3 record, 34 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Against Minnesota, 12 and 6 record, 39 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Doing some quick math there, I think that's about 115 touchdowns against 21 interceptions. I mean, that's a, almost a 6 to 1 ratio, and he's won probably three quarters of those games. That is how you win in the National Football League when you dominate your division, and he's done that now for a decade. Well, we're seeing Aaron Rodgers do. I don't know if the quarterback position uh, has played at that level very often in the NFL, and uh, he might be one of the great throwers in the history of the National Football League. I mean, the throws that he makes uh, off of you know off balance or just the accuracy or the velocity. 
um, and accuracy uh, where he puts the football is absolutely incredible. And then on top of it, he's had this whole other element where, you know, if, if, the, if the pocket breaks down, uh, the, the, this off-schedule stuff that he does, and now he, you know, and he can run too, um, which he did the other day for, what, a 15 or 18-yarder, a, a key play in that football game in Dallas. Um, he is really a, a special a, a special quarterback, and, and I think Green Bay uh, should be very, very lucky to have go from Favre to Aaron Rodgers. There's a lot of luck involved. Well, what's interesting about this Packer team, if you took Aaron off that team, you, 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 you do wonder, how good is that football team? You know, are they a, are they a seven-win football team? Um, you know, if, if, if they switched uh, uh, players, if Sam Bradford was a uh, healthy Sam Bradford, was a quarterback of the Packers, I mean, do they win eight football games? I don't, I don't, I think the Vikings have a better roster than the Green Bay Packers, but and I think the Vikings have had a better roster than the Packers over the course of the last uh, uh, three or four seasons. Uh, but it doesn't really matter because the quarterback is that good and he's the guy who touches the ball in every single play. It's why everyone's trying to find a quarterback. Uh, but there's there's none out there like Aaron Rodgers. He is he's been absolutely spectacular this year again. Yeah, the defense really isn't that formidable. They almost lost to Cincinnati. They almost lost to Dallas, and in both cases, Aaron Rodgers brought them back at the end. The running game is not formidable at all. You know, they had Ty Montgomery. They converted wide receiver, but he's hurt, so now they're leaning on rookie Aaron Jones to kind of lead the way. They're not very deep in the run game, but Devontae Adams has really emerged. Obviously, Jordy Nelson is is maybe Aaron Rodgers' most reliable target, and Randall Cobb has been good for a number of years as well. Uh, he's got a good trio at wide receiver, and for a while there, I think people didn't trust Adams. He was dropping a lot of balls, but as you saw in the Dallas game, Devontae Adams has emerged as one of his favorite targets, and when you've got three good receivers for a quarterback like Rodgers, that's really going to wear a secondary thin. Yeah, Adams has really come into his own and, and become a, a legit threat. I think we all saw his talent for this last year or two years ago as he was working his way up from sort of an unknown player, and he'd make a couple plays here and there, but then he'd drop a ball uh, as well or, or really get beat on a route by, by a good corner. But he has really now become a legitimate threat. And they've got three guys. And, you know, their tight end, Martellus Bennett, uh, is a very good tight end as well. So they have threats really all over the field uh, for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Jordy Nelson, what he has done, I, I don't know if he scored 15, 16 touchdowns uh, since, I think it's 16 touchdowns maybe since uh, last year and this year. And no one else has more than 11 from the wide receiver position in the NFL. Uh, so, it, you know, obviously he had his had his – knee injury two years ago, and you wonder how he was going to come back from that. Well, he looks pretty dang good. So Aaron Rodgers know how to, he knows how to use his threats, uh, his talent. I don't think there's anyone in the National Football League uh, that you'd rather have the ball in his hands, you know, down a touchdown, down four points, down three points with a minute left in the game. Uh, he, the guy has been really magical in the last couple of years. You were emphatic that the Vikings should blitz Mitch Trubisky a lot. Do you sort of soften that stance when it's a guy like Rodgers who can burn a defense quickly if he sees a mismatch in the secondary? You know, I, I don't know. I think I think trying. I think the thing with Rodgers is you want to get the ball out of his hands. The, you know, a lot of quarterbacks, like for when I played, uh, I like to get the ball in my hands as quickly as possible. You know, I, I wasn't going to get any yards, so I was wanting to get to my receivers 
as quickly as possible. And, and But with Aaron, it seems like the longer he hangs on to it, the more dangerous you know he can be. He's so good at buying time. Uh, he's so good with you know 35-yard darts down the field to somebody that's barely open after he bought some time on a, some sort of scramble drill. Uh, so I, that, the reason I like to blitz Rodgers is just so he has to get the ball out quick, which means you know his receivers are going to have to win quickly at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and if they win, they might be bigger plays, but uh, at least he's not holding on the ball and making things happen. So, yeah, I, I like blitzing Aaron Rodgers, in particular the way the Vikings play. So much man-to-man, they just have to win on the outside you know, right off the bat. And, and accept the fact that sometimes you're just going to get beat uh, in those games and try to you know try to tackle tackle the wide receivers after they make the catches. Uh, but I, I like blitz, blitzing Aaron Rodgers, too. I do not like sitting back in zone coverage and watching him just pick your defense apart. Yeah, that's a great point. We'll talk more about Rodgers as the, as the week goes on. Let's quickly make a selection for Thursday night football. We like to always just touch on this game. It's Eagles at Panthers. A couple 4-1 teams. This might be one of the better Thursday night matchups of the season. I don't know who I like in this one. I mean, the uh, the Panthers are at home. They're coming off a big win. Cam Newton looked really, really good, but Carson Wentz has also been good. Uh, I think I go with the Eagles. I like their defense a lot. Well, the Eagles haven't. They don't. They don't really have any like marquee wins against top teams yet. Uh, the, the, I, I don't believe, and so they're they're a four and one team that people aren't super high on yet. They're sort of, still sort of waiting, and this is that type of matchup they're waiting for a game on the road in prime time at, at another good football team. So you know, Carolina really Cam Newton the first three games of the season, like he had two touchdowns and four interceptions and an average of about 180 yards passing a game. He wasn't playing all that well. The last two games now, he's over you know, around 300 yards. Obviously, he had a great game versus the Patriots in which they blew a couple coverages. He played very well again last week. Uh, you know, Cam Newton started to get that confidence back again. So uh, a game like this, two 4-1 teams uh, on, a, on a short uh, uh, short week. Uh, I like the home team in this game. This game's at Carolina. Yes. Uh, so I'll take I'll take the Carolina Panthers in this one. All right, that should be a good one. And now the last question of the show has nothing to do with American football. The U.S. did not qualify for the World Cup in soccer. Do you care? On a scale of one to ten, what is your level of of passion about American soccer? Uh, I do care, um, and. I would say my passion for American soccer, if, if NFL is like a nine for me on a one to 10, I put soccer at about a six. Um, I actually, I like watching soccer matches. My daughter plays soccer. My son loves soccer. Uh, it's on our house probably just as much as football is, uh, you know, when my, when my kids are around. Uh, so I, I, it's, it's too, it's amazing. The United States has over 300 million people and we'll lose to these countries that have, you know, a million or two million people. And uh, the biggest issue, I believe, with American soccer is that our best athletes don't play soccer. Uh, our best athletes are not in the, the rich suburbs of America. They, they, they just aren't. But that's where soccer is played. That's where the soccer is coached. That's where the, the families, you know, pony out a 1000 or 2000 or $3,000 to be on some select team. But the best athletes are not these kids in the suburbs, uh, in particular for male soccer. So uh, they had to find a way to get an occasional, you know, uh, you know, NBA type guy or an NFL type guy, a guy like Cohen, 
uh, for the Bears, that little running back. Imagine that guy in the soccer field, right? But there's just not enough money. The, the, these young kids don't see the potential of, of the money in it at a you know a young age, four, five, six, seven years old. Uh, and so they go into you know sports like football and basketball and, and baseball. So uh, I, I, I'm a big soccer fan. I'm a big USA soccer fan. Uh, it's really too bad that our, our men's team is just – uh, just a just just another team out there, uh, and because they should be. Our, our country puts a lot of resources, a lot of time, a lot of money uh, into the sport of soccer for young boys and young girls, and you, you got to think uh, that our that our men's team could do, could be doing much better than they are. Yeah, I want to say that the USA soccer budget is in the billions of dollars, so they're definitely pouring the money into it, um, but they're not getting the results that they want. I thought the Taylor Twellman rant, I don't know if you've seen this on ESPN last night after the elimination occurred. It was great. It's about three minutes, basically a former player just telling it like it is. And it kind of got me passionate about the subject just because I, I wouldn't say I'm crushed by the news. You know, I don't watch much soccer between world cups, but it's fun to get in that kind of national pride zone where you've got your team, uh, you've got the you know the horns blowing in the background, and you kind of got the whole world coming together to watch this thing. And that was always fun every four years because it was kind of a novelty for a lot of the casual soccer people, and it got people excited about soccer. And now we're going to have a void there next year, and you know now they've got to go through the qualification again in four years, and hopefully they can make it then. But the best player in the country is Christian uh, Pulisic is his name, and he won't get to play on the big stage now for at least five more years, and that's disappointing. It is, it is disappointing, and uh, it also shows, you know, we, we don't have a lot of young guys. We need to have a lot of these young guys, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, uh, playing in Europe. That the, the best soccer league is not the MLS. It's these European leagues and, and the Premier League, and, and they just there's not enough good talent on the USA roster right now. I think these older guys who played in the past, you know, guys like Alexi Lalas, uh, you know, they this, this bothers them because they – feel like they probably were sort of the foundation, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago of trying to build, you know, knowing at the time, yeah, we're not a premier soccer country, but hopefully someday we are. And they put in all their work and, and got in the United States into those World Cups and, and those types of things. And, and then it just has not, that did not spark uh, anything that we're seeing results now. So, you know, as I said, it, it's it, I think it's too bad. I think it's it, it's important for for the sport of soccer in this country to, for these young kids to see the United States playing in the world cup, um, because that's how then in the future you, you build soccer players, you build these young kids who are, who are great athletes. They want, they might be inspired by a, a great world cup match when the United States makes it to the quarterfinals or semifinals or something. And that, the whole country's watching. And then next, you know, they're a soccer fan, uh, instead of playing, you know, tailback for the Chicago Bears or something, right? So, yep. uh, yeah, I, I think it's quite a shame that uh, our soccer team just can't figure out a way to become, uh, you know, a top 16 team in the world. Yep. It'll be interesting to see in about 20 years if the people who, you know, might have played football, if maybe parents start not letting their kids play football, if they resort to soccer, which is kind of an, a fall alternative sport, if, uh, if they want to scratch that itch and they want to play a sport, but it can't be football, it might turn into soccer. So maybe we'll see a boost, but that's not for a long time down the road. U.S. soccer does not qualify for the World Cup. And there's your soccer commentary on Lockdown Vikings with Sam and Sage. We'll talk to you again on Friday, Sage, and we'll have uh, probably some news coming out of Winter Park about Sam Bradford and, and other things uh, related to the Green Bay game. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. 
All right, he's Sage. I'm Sam. It's Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Leave a review on iTunes and have a chance to win a Pro Football Focus subscription. Thanks for listening. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figure it out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.